G'day guys, welcome back, episode 58, Money in the Tank. Thanks for joining us again, Tankers. It's great to have you with us as we launch into the year uh, with our, I think it's third podcast for the year, and it's great to have Two you guys row. back. Two in a row as well. We're on a streak, we're on a streak. Hopefully you guys enjoyed our first foray back in last week, and it's uh, it's good to be back here. We've got some awesome topics today. It's probably going to be a bit of a turbo pod, uh, half an hour of just a lot of different news items, rapid fire items. So anything from uh, some of the stuff going on in America with Jerome Powell and also uh, crypto with, uh, I think it's Silvergate, uh, the crypto exchange, I believe, Brad will touch on. Yep. Uh, Arnie will have some rapid news fire items. We'll have uh, a bit more on the, the Fed and also the RBA more locally um, with the interest rates uh, increase again, another 25 basis point. Um, and then a good 50-50 or a great 50-50 that Arnie has got for us, which he hasn't told us about. So great <laughs> surprise for what's your choice, the Savo, and uh, as well as Rifton's rules. So without further ado, I'll introduce myself, Joel Seach, Principal Advisor, Harbel FG. Great to be here today. I'm going to throw to you, Arnie. Yeah, and it's Arnie, Finance Professional. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and Brad Investor. Thanks for having me. Last week, <laughs> last week, I said to my left and you guys gave me crap, so... I saw, I just, uh, <laughs> so you just went open this time. You just went like I'm just gonna see who speaks first. Just <laughs> <laughs> going to my left every time. All right, and uh, assume it's hard. <laughs> otherwise. Um, so yeah, so getting in stuck in today, guys. Uh, we've got uh, a bit going on. So this week mm. we had the RBA come out um, uh, more locally. So 25 basis point rise, which is a tenth in a row, uh, tenth rate rise in a row, which has snuck up on us. I didn't realize we did double-figure rate rises in a row, which is a very interesting um, topical conversation at the moment. It seems to be every time we do a pod, there's something going on in relation to it. So I guess the the feedback from that one, <clears throat> some of the information that we we captured was uh, the, the, the notes or the media coming out afterwards, there's going to be more to come. But then I think Lowe tempered that the next day, RBA Governor Lowe saying that no, it's going to be a fluid thing and we're going to review the stats, have things settle and have things, um, have the data point us in the direction that we want to head. So I don't think they're as set on raising another couple straight away like the media, you know, uh, tend to push the narrative on, but it's more of a wait and see approach and let's see the data come through. So um, it, it's interesting. I think the media is expecting and the economists are maybe thinking another couple in a row really and I think Lowe wants to see the data and the information come through first to make a, a, an educated assessment on that. And then as well, as we've spoken about so many times, those fixed loans coming off. And I think there was a Bank West uh, economist came out the other day saying that the, the banks were already talking about um, uh, having those fixed loan holders that have started those rates a couple of years ago that are going to come off. They've started talking about helping them um, through this next challenging 12 months, whether it's um, mortgage vacations in terms of missing repayments and putting them on the back, topping them up to the end of the loan cycle, or uh, redoing the loan to push to push the years out and push the repayments out at a lower amount because they do see uh, a worry with those, especially those new home entrants and those new loan holders that are fixed uh, at that lower rate coming off that they. Uh, they're a little bit concerned about that. So it's going to be an interesting time to see uh, what unfolds. Uh, thoughts from uh, Arnie on that one? Yeah, I think, um, as we sort of stated previously, and I know there's other factors at play here, but in general, I feel like whenever the US raises rates, we are forced to raise rates in lockstep. Now, it may not mean the at the exact same pace or, or at the exact same percentage points, but 
during the week, the US came out and said, uh, or Jerome Powell came out and said, um, they may need to recalibrate where they thought they would need to get their rates to. Previously, they had sort of said they were sort of around the, the mark, maybe one or two more raises. Now they're saying they might need to go another 100 basis points higher, up to like 6 to 6.25% range. And the, the stark reality is, if Australia doesn't keep raising in lockstep with someone like the US, all foreign investment flows to the US instead of Australia. Whereas if we raise uh, you know, alongside them, then some of that money will be attracted to our shores. So that's just the way it works. And, and I know there's other factors at play, um, but that's, that's, that's my thoughts on the matter. So I just feel like more pain ahead. Yeah. Um, look, second, when you say only around currency and uh, you know foreign investment, um, just nature of interest rates <laughs> and people putting their money, <laughs> um, you know, earning off their money. Um, I do think it's a bit of a bit of a backflip because, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, the first words that he actually said the day of it was, um, it may require another one or two rate rises, and then with pressure. It seems like, you know, with parliamentary pressure and with media scrutiny, he said, okay, well, you know, we we also have the option of taking a pause, right? Like, it's like there's some words, and then there were some words about a day later that were a little bit more um, toned down. The reason why I thought that was the nature of it, because I went back yesterday in a just like a, a WhatsApp group, with a bunch of people speaking, they were all speaking about the rate rise, and then some of them said, oh, look, he's saying this now. And I was like, what? He's saying what? And there's a bit of kind of, you know, furor in the uh, WhatsApp group around people going, well, like, you know, um, it seems like, you know, the RBA at the end of the day needs to be separate from from the government. <laughs> it has to be a separate institution. Um, the media, it's funny, like the media used to blame Keating in the 80s, but now he's blaming like the, the central bank for actually doing it um, and saying like, you know, it's it's all it's all their fault. Um and at the end of the day, like inflation does need to get under control. And so I don't know about the flipping flopping and what that does for markets either. Like I think they I think it's been good being quite hawkish today, but I know it's starting to create some kind of, you know, some cracks. What you said there, Jolly, my, my I had some feedback on that, which is I was actually surprised I haven't done much reading in the last forty eight hours, but um really surprised if banks start kind of Adding on like interest at the end of the term, or working like working with them to try and come up with saving plans and the rest of it, right? Well, but changing the actual underlying it. structure of um of the loans is kind of like sometimes gets me a little bit. Where like, if I buy a stock and the stock goes down, unfortunately, I don't get kind of anyone coming along going, "Look, you know, stock's gone down. <laughs> we'll give you some reprieve on the back end, and maybe if you hold it for a bit longer, I'll give you five ten percent more, so you can hold it, so you don't have to like you know get your margin call." And I understand like the um, the size of the problem, and that's probably like you know them trying to mitigate a bigger overall <laughs> risk to yeah. their own loan books and the rest of it. I just feel like we we always bail out home like homeowners in Australia. Like home, like Australia loves investing in property, and it's like whenever anything comes near taking the steam out of the market, always gets propped back up um, instead of feeling the pain. So yeah, since well, the eighties, historically. Um, worked with customers around okay. it. They don't necessarily promote what they do, but they they do help case by case basis. And whether that's a a loan honeymoon, if someone loses their job, um, okay. you know, they prefer to keep the client solvent and ongoing. And whether they tack on months to the end of the loan, 
um, or refire it onto from a 25 to a 30, which will you get that with like a margin loan. So if you took out a margin loan, do you get this sort of like you lose your job? Do you get yeah, to like, I don't know enough about the margin loan side of things, but I know the home loan side of things. Yes. I guess margin loans, you, you started to deal with more sophisticated investors. So there's probably more, um, they, they, they are aware and knowing what they're going into with a margin loan, whereas a home loan, it's your mum and dad's, you know, buying their home. They've just, you know, had a, had a mishap with work and, and lost a job or whatnot. The banks would generally prepare to work with someone around that and, and help them get through which that. I, which is good, right? Um, yeah. I don't disagree, but I just I always just find it like Australians always just go to property for investments largely. Yeah. And yeah. more than any other country in the world, we love using property. But I just feel like it's this like protected animal. That's it's a cultural thing. And I don't, know, I don't know if it's healthy though. Like sometimes you have to let the steam out of the markets. Like you can't grow 35% over two years and think that's normal. I think I agree with what you're saying, but I also think that we are seeing steam come out of the market and the further that they raise rates, the more steam will come out. I, I, I take your point. Like you're saying, like at what point do you think someone will step in? Like the government? I personally think this is probably... I reckon we're around about where we need to because speaking to a bunch of people I know and they're like, cool, I'm paying an extra grand on my mortgage. I've got no more money left. I'm like, that's what their job was. Their, the whole idea was to take the steam out of the market, right? They have, to and, take, they have to take money out of the market and they have to reverse the QE stimulus they did throughout the pandemic. And that's what that's what has to occur. So I think for the past 12 months, just very generally property-wise in Australia, I think Melbourne's down about 10%. Sydney's about 13 Yeah. I think Adelaide's up around five, yep. a few percent. Uh, Brisbane's down uh, down a bit as well. I can't remember how much Brisbane. So, and regionals will be different too. So that, that definitely as steams come out, um, the issue you'll start seeing is that people are not selling at the moment. They're just the supply yeah, side issues. Holding. You're starting to get unnatural supply side pressures. When there's less stock on the market, people have to make a choice of shelter and where they want to live. And they'll always come back to property is... Um, that hierarchy of needs, people need shelter. Yes. So that will always be an underpinning in terms of a property is that they need somewhere to live and someone needs somewhere to live. So they're willing to pay for that shelter and peace of mind. So uh, it's an interesting one. It's an it is interesting. I mean, we've got to have some house. You can't Sorry. sleep in the stock uh, unless you're a majority shareholder. Of something. <laughs> let you sleep in the offices. Just go down to the Tesla factory and be like, hey, I'm, I'm a shareholder. I'm just going to crash you for a few nights. Don't worry about it, right? Hey, yeah. Maybe have a tick more. Let you sleep there, Brad. We used to. Uh, Harry used to. Um, I, got, I got one more thing to say, sorry, yeah, just, on the, just on the Philip Lowe stuff. I think you're correct, Brad. There was a narrative in the media and uh, it said something along the lines of, you know, Governor Lowe says that they might pause in April which is true, they might pause in April, but that doesn't mean they won't raise, you know, in, in May. So, yeah, I, I really feel like his hands are tied a little bit there. Um, I don't know. We'll see how we go. The, we other, go. Um, the only other interesting one on this same topic, kind of same topic, um, is, I don't know if you guys saw this. Just for the people um, that aren't watching, Brad. Oh, yeah, sorry, everybody that's not watching. It's an article uh, out of the uh, Fin Review, which is Millennials, Not Boomers, to Wear the Pain of Rate Rises. And I found this, I don't know, it was just an interesting perspective. Um, I heard it yesterday, which is basically like the vast majority of people like over the age of 55, like boomers, uh, own their homes. And so the people feeling the rate rises at the moment are generally kind of people in their 30s and 40s. Um, they're the ones that kind of are, you know, the most indebted. Um and then they're talking about at the moment, like taking the steam out of the economy at the moment, like 
all these like 30s and 40 year olds are paying, you know, an extra thousand or $2,000 a month in mortgage payments that are going to banks and banks, banks at the moment are increasing their spreads. And this is about their golden, about the golden rate for them to be making lots of money. Um, that's why profits are up and uh, banks are up over the last week. And this article just goes through basically talking about that um, the rates, where, where the rates are at the moment, the banks are going to probably be making record profits because they've got the biggest spreads between saving rates and lending rates at the moment. And uh, and they're attracting new saving rates in as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, basically the, the boomers are going to make <laughs> make a windfall out of the dividends, which are the, basically people paying the banks for <laughs> part of their interest rates. So it, it, was a, it was a cycle. It was a quite an interesting just like perspective, which is like obviously part of the rates is obviously the, um, the RBA, but there's obviously the bit on top of it, which is the banks and... Um, Basically, you know, through record profits and then via dividends, the people that are actually hold the majority of people that hold banking stocks are in the superannuation and pension portfolios, and the biggest pension and the superannuation portfolios are that that of the boomers. They went into like all the details on that. Um, quite an interesting article. Just thought I'd uh, throw playing, it out there. Playing devil's advocate, if you can just share your screen again, Brad, for that yep. article at the top of it. Uh, the 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 millennial side of things is don't forget the listeners out there, especially the younger ones with your super you will have generally these financial stocks and banks inside of your super. So you will be getting um, a value out of that, just the top of the article, Brad. So you'll be getting value out of that in terms of, um, you know, any, you know, market movement in bank upside and, and banks are getting their spreads at the moment better because when the rates go up, they've got more spread to be able to squeeze from, um, you know, uh, deposits into lending out. Um, so, yeah, so that'll definitely, you know, so those millennials out there, um, know that your super is invested as long as it's in the right area, um, for sure. And then the second thing on that article, Brad, that I was just going to mention. Oh, is yeah, sorry. The, uh, <laughs> the gentleman that wrote it uh, on the financial review there is John John Kehoe. Um, I always find it interesting why they look surprised when they're getting their profile picture done. It does. Yeah, I'm <laughs> surprised that AFR have taken a photo of me for my uh, my, my story. Anyway, what do you know? There's a, a bunch of actual artists. There's a bit of an analysis as well, Jolly, about just the um, percentage of holdings. So they looked at um, basically oh, yeah. the size of superannuation accounts oh, across yeah. age groups and then what holds. Yep. Yep. So your point's 100%. But it was just, it was funny that just that, that but perspective. But let me get there. You know, the, the, yeah, the, the pre retirees and retirees are the cause of compounding, they're the larger holders now. Um, but the millennials will get there. They'll compound over time. And they, as long as their investments and their super in the right area, that'll compound and work for them over time. And you're right, we deal a lot, you know, at, at, with my business with pre-retirees and retirees. And a lot of the debts are clear. We, we do have a wealth accumulators uh, for sure. Um, and there's more talk around loans and, and investment loans and that sort of thing. But yeah, your pre-retirees and retirees generally, it doesn't come up that often because they don't, they sort of have almost forgotten about loans. Like it's like, oh, you know, tough for the kids or tough for the grandkids, um, or tough for the grandkids to get in the property market. How can we help them? How can we sort of help, you know, make it work for them and help the grandkids out with getting a foot in the door, help the kids out while they need it most. And um, they talk back to remembering around the 80s as to, you know, more the retiree clients, they're talking the 80s when their rates were 17, 18. 17, 18. My mum was yeah. talking to me about it the other day. I was like, oh. Yeah, different era, different time. It'll, it won't ever get there again. Um, and I guess the inflation side of things. If you well, think- like it never, Joel. Glass half full. I Hopefully. like it. If you think about it like a, a grass fire, is the, the the RBA at the moment are trying to quell that grass fire and contain it, put the containment lines around so it doesn't spread. Um, if, if a grass fire or forest fire spreads, it starts to become harder and harder to contain. So think about wage creep, uh, inflation, that sort of thing. They don't want it to ingrain and spread. They're trying to put all the water and the ammo on it right now 
so that come yeah, 2024, yeah. they can start to look at cutting and they probably will. They'll start looking at cutting because they'll see the economy slowed down enough. People are under strain and they don't want to, they don't want that to occur. So they, they just want to stop the spread now. They don't want to Volcker 2.0, right? Which is like <laughs> you came in after 10 years of, uh, of inflation. It was like, well, well, let's turn it up. Arnie, any last thoughts before we jump on the banks? Just that I think that uh, Fed Chair Powell in America sees himself as a Volcker 2.0. But um, yeah, so I mean, this the boat. <laughs> before we do jump on the banks, I don't know if Jolly wanted to carry on his chat about super and I can recuse myself if you want to talk about that now, Joel, or you tell me, I'll recuse myself if I need to. Yeah, yeah, sure. So we can touch on the, the super side of things yep. just briefly. So last week, the, See, yeah, last <laughs> week the current government came out with a... <laughs> a $3 million cap in terms of superannuation uh, holdings above the $3 million mark would be taxed at a higher rate of um, of uh, taxation. So currently the superannuation environment is taxed at up to 15% on earnings. Uh, in pension phase, it's zero. Um, and and um, and capital gains is a lesser amount. Anything, um, the, the interesting thing with this, this new stat there or this new thing they're trying to bring in 2025, 26, I believe, is anything above the $3 million mark, they're looking at adding an increased percentage tax of 15% uh, top. Yeah, so it's essentially, and look, they're, they're getting away, I think, with not being thrown over the coals by the media because it's impacting half of 1% of people Currently, I heard eighty thousand was the number I heard. People in Australia, so it's really the wealthy at the moment. But interestingly, I haven't put indexation on the the three million dollar mark, so that will start bringing more and more people creeping into that um, that area. Especially with inflation at seven uh, percent. Yeah, so that that mm. so that that's yet to see what happens there. They just haven't mentioned that, so um, so that's interesting. The, the, there's a calculation, a formula around it, so. It's um they, they sort of work on account balances at certain time of the financial year and then they they add the earnings onto that and they do a percentage allocation as to what they're going to tax that portion by uh, in terms of what's attributing to that uh, that uh, amount that's going over the three million dollar mark. So you're saying so, today that if you had a super balance of three million, you don't put any more money into it. But let's just say that the dividend income that year was you know let's just call it. Ten percent. Well, so you've got you've got an extra um, you know, three hundred k coming in from dividends. Are, is that are they going to tax that at thirty percent as well? Uh, it's going to be so. Think of it as fifteen above the normal fifteen. So yep. it's sort of separating the two. So gotcha. yeah, the, the wow. taxation would be on the portion of earnings at when you work out the formula and the percentage. And, and we can yep. share screen next week, and I can go through how the formula works for those that are interested because it's it, it it is interesting, but. The, the interesting, uh, the thing that you mentioned there, Brad, which just jogged my memory about it, is it's actually, there's a there's a, there's a potential issue there with uh, clunkier assets like property. They're going to, they're, you're essentially going to have to pay tax on unrealized capital gains if a property value goes up. And your Very dangerous. Goes up. So you're starting to bring in something where the person hasn't got any more liquid money that's come in, but they've just had an inflation of their capital value of their fund or their pool of funds and they're making uh that that's a tax event which normally for the listeners out there if you have something that grows in value and you haven't sold it down you're not realizing that capital gain so there's there's no tax to pay until a future date as to when you do liquidate it or sell it um dividend, and the risk there is you pay tax on something that you may actually eventually have a loss on that's i mean yeah. that can happen right so if you've got a property and also you don't have the liquid cash to pay the 
you have to sell it down to actually sometimes pay for. Correct. That's <laughs> where the different difference of dividends and mm. uh, you know interest and whatnot. You've got that money that's coming, so it's earnings that you it's disposable or it's liquid, so you know that you can set that aside. So, so it's, yeah, there'll be more to come on that one, but uh, it seems to have been like this is what's going to happen, and uh, we'll wait and see. But it'll be for the next election, so that's their proposal. Um, because I think they said in their election promise that they didn't want to make any changes to super, so they're not breaking that because this would fall into the next term if uh, if the Labor government gets uh, re-elected. So, uh, yeah, we'll keep an eye on that and, and happy to uh, go through the formula with anyone that, that's interested uh, next week, potentially. But... Um, Drop down in the comments if you're interested. Uh, if you're heading towards that $3 million and you want a bit yeah. more information. Yeah, look, it's still an attractive area. It's still, you know, the, the superannuation environment is set up to help fund retirement and help have a tax-effective area for funds and money. Uh, and essentially, like obviously general in nature and education purposes only for, for this podcast, but you can have different investments in different areas and depending on how you've set it up, super is just one of those structures where you've got your money invested, then you've got your individual names and you've got investment trusts and you've got other different structures the way you can have money and assets invested in and it's just how you're structuring that. Um, but yeah, seek uh, your personal financial advice for your own personal situation or taxation advice when it comes to those things, but the government will always tinker. Uh, they'll always tinker with super. The one thing we can guarantee is they'll always adjust it, but it's still a very... Uh, when the pot's that big, they can't help themselves. They can't help themselves, but it's still a very tax-effective and a, and, a, and a positive vehicle to help fund, uh, partially fund retirement. Did you, uh, last last comment, did you hear what the Greens uh, came out? They were uh, asking what the amount they were asking to cap it at. I believe it was a very small amount. Well, 1.9 compared to three. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's yeah. yeah that, that's interesting. So, yeah, currently there's a, and without the pension amount, it's going to go to 1.9. You can have it in a pension phase for retirement, which is a tax free space. Yep. So, maybe they've grabbed the number from that. I'm not sure. But yeah. um, anyway, we'll see. Anyway, guys. Bring so, back Arnie. Very topical. And um, yeah, bring Arnie back. Um, but, hey, uh, buddy. <laughs> Good to chat. Good to have you back, Hans. And uh, I will save Ripkins for the end of the episode today because I forgot him at the start. So we'll pop him in just before 5050. So audience and uh, tankers, stay tuned for that. Nice, nice. Um, just want to talk about quickly two, two banks, completely different sort of banks to your traditional banks um, that are in a bit of trouble um, in the US. It's something to kind of just be aware of. So um, first one is... Throwing it up for those on the on the uh, listening to us on the pod. Um, so Silvergate Capital goes into liquidation um, weeks after the stock plunge. So Silvergate uh, is a bank traditional, like 1987 was, you know, um, has more and more delved into the digital asset space and got into crypto pretty hardcore. Um, so the firm lent out most of its funds to crypto exchanges um, and got hit pretty hard out of the $32 billion um, FTX crumbling. Obviously, you've got Elizabeth Warren out there who uh, hates crypto and everything to do with it and has been relishing in uh, exchanges crashing. And now, you know, her comment is uh, Silvergate's bank's failure is disappointing, but predictable. I warned Silvergate's risky, if not illegal, activity and identified severe due diligence failures. Um uh, so this is one to watch because um, obviously stocks down 
97% from all-time high, 67% this year. Um, so, Brad, for the layman's out there listening that uh, aren't fully invested or understand the crypto or the banking side of things, Silvergate essentially took borrowers' monies like a normal bank would do, and uh, and they're either lending that out, but they've essentially lent that money out to FTX. Yeah, then- so what they were, they were, they were like a, a traditional bank, but you could like, you could also, they also, so they, they were a bank that you could hold um, crypto with. They also were a bank that did a lot of kind of financial like synthetics and securitization of crypto. So if you had a lot of crypto, they'll then lend you out fiat against your crypto and hold it. And what they also did was um, lend out their crypto <laughs> holdings because they took those deposits. They also lend those out to kind of exchanges and the rest of it around, um, you know, some of their synthetic products, some of their margin products and also, so they're getting kind of like paid, uh, you know, quite handsomely for uh, providing kind of liquidity and crypto to exchanges to then lend on. And so when the exchanges went under, when Celsius went under as lenders, when all this sort of stuff, a lot of the crypto that they had lent out suddenly wasn't there. So then the people that had deposited with them, um, they didn't have their deposits left, so they've had to cover that. They um, they'll make it. They they'll make it. Uh oh. There you go. They said, uh oh. Yeah, they said, uh oh. Uh, and so they were like, they were a bank bank, though. So, like, as in, I guess they'll use more for traditional and for crypto, but it looks like it's put the whole bank uh, kind of at, at a bit of risk. Um, and they're going to voluntary. Are they going for, what are they insolvent now, bankrupt? Yeah, or? voluntary uh, liquidation. So before I jump on to SVB, Arnie, Jolly, any thoughts? I've asked mine. Yeah, I guess my thoughts on this matter are I I I I guess I I guess the whole crypto sector right now is pretty bleak for a number of reasons. I still I still see utility here. I feel like we're gonna see more pain in this in this sector. And I don't know what the final iteration of crypto will be, but I yeah, I guess I just think it's one of these things where this is a risk asset. And if you are, like this is general in nature, not financial advice, but with risk assets, generally you should have, you know, keep your allocations relatively small compared to the rest of your portfolio because there could still be tremendous upside in crypto. That's the way I view it. So I also wonder who will be the last sort of players standing um, and who will benefit from this the most. Everyone's talking about Binance. Everyone's talking about Coinbase. So yeah, we'll see how that goes. I think good good commentary. I think Coinbase, Kraken, Binance, obviously Binance being the biggest, um, are all going to be probably players on the exchange kind of uh, side of things. Um, I think crypto, you know, I'm still working on a number of uh, projects, like rather than investing, I'm working kind of with Hedera Network on their $750 million uh, with Google, Microsoft, Oracle, et cetera, their ESG platform that they're putting together at the moment um, to do carbon trading and the rest of it. So there are, um, you've got kind of, you know, um, Cardano and a bunch of others teaming up with say the launch of the Indian central bank digital coin. You had RBA just announced last week. I think it was, correct me if I'm wrong. Jolly, do you know about that? The RBA um, digital currency release. I was gonna say, do you want to bring us back to full screen, Brad? Or are you still sharing stuff? Ah, uh, still sharing. I was going to go. Um, so the RBA have just uh, released. Uh, they're doing nine digital currency projects, um, CBDCs. And the RBA have historically been a very, very conservative reserve um, yep. central bank. So 
you know, it, it, see, I remember a couple of years ago, I haven't heard much from it since the Gabriel of CBA. Um, but this lot... is going to be with the RBA. So the announcement with the RBA um, basically came out on 2nd of March. So what's that, a week ago? Um, saying that they running hot bread a couple, like, you know, a year and a bit ago, the banks were starting to come out and say, how do we get part of this? And we can offer this trading platform where you can buy stuff through your online banking. And they were, they're very, uh, they've gone quiet on it. So it's interesting. I was wondering where they're at with it all. and what Yeah, doing. no, it's still moving. So the thing is like, it's just probably not getting as much media attention um, yeah. like this, right? So the RBA has come out for those again, um, that can't see this, um, but the RBA has come out and they've picked, like, you know, the ANZ, um, Unis and Minova, Canvas Digital, CBA, um, MasterCard, et cetera, for 14 different use cases for crypto, from offline payments to Superstream payments to GST automation to CD, CBDC, so Central Bank Digital Currency, custodial models, funds, custody, tokenization. It's a whole bunch of, um, I guess, different use cases with different companies in Australia and they're going to be working with these uh, 14 use cases, um, util- utilizing the RBA's Australian new digital currency in the in here. So stuff's moving forward, um, definitely. It's just, I'd probably say, isn't garnering um, as much media attention because there isn't the hype around, you know, the readership around crypto at the moment because probably most people are in, uh, in, in the red. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, all right, on to uh, rapid fire news, and then I've got um, fifty fifty for you both. And just at this point, if you're still with us, please give us a like, comment, subscribe. You can follow Money in the Tank at YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So the yeah, the rapid fire news. So uh, Leisman on CNBC has said that a systemic risk event could force the U.S. Fed to stop hiking rates. Chinese oil consumption expected to peak around twenty thirty. Biden has proposed a $6.8 trillion budget for 2024, which would add $1.8 trillion into the next year's deficit for the USA, but also has proposed a $5.5 trillion tax increase over a decade. And I'll get to a summary of the Biden administration proposed um, tax changes in a moment. Uh, Raimondo, US wants bigger India role in electronic supply chain. Same source, US India to sign Semiconductor Memorandum Pact. Okay. So the summary of Biden's tax changes, I actually got this from Twitter, but I don't have the account, so I can't credit it. Sorry. But uh, they want to raise capital gains tax from 20% to 39.6%, the highest in America since 1978. Top tax, the top tax rate over there will be raised from 37% to 39.6%. Corporate tax rate raised from 21% to 28%. Self-employment tax raised from 3.8% to 5%. They want to increase IRS funding by 15% on top of the $80 billion from the Inflation Reduction Act, 25% minimum tax rate on households with $100 million plus net worth, elimination of tax break for crypto investors, elimination of carried interest tax break, and increase the stock buyback tax from 1% to 4%. So these are all, these are all proposed, not necessarily going to get approved or go through. Um, and and I'll I want to get your thoughts on that, boys. And then I've got one yeah. more news item after that, so I'll go to break. I will give this a near zero percent chance of any of that getting in. So, with twenty twenty four election campaign starting, Trump coming in again, uh, well, possibly being uh, at least the nominated, you know, being at least the nominated preferred for the Republicans um, after CPAC. 
Um, either him or DeSantis, who's number two, really, but hasn't actually said he's going in the running. I doubt very much that they're going to be running against this, which is everyone knows, you know, they're already running on the economy and everyone knows that even though it says low unemployment, that basically there is a huge um, you know, problem in the US with the economy and that if they raise... You know, CGT is going to lower investments. There's no way they'll get the one to four percent on people over a hundred million dollars just because of the way that money is in politics over there. Is just it's like you know, it costs. I think you know, DeSantis raised 125 million dollars just for the governor race in two months. Um, you know, it's a couple of billion dollars for a a presidential race at the moment, and they usually you know the big uh, super packs and stuff get in there. So I mean, me living in the US for four and a bit years um, and seeing stuff get put up. I just don't see it happening. I mean, there's, there's only cuts that occur over there because the lobbyists will let cuts happen. The lobbyists won't let um, kind of broad-ranging uh, broad ranging tax increases happen. But, I mean, America is in, at the end of the day, I mean, they still do add ridiculous amounts of debt, but being a reserve currency kind of gives them a little bit of, um, you know, free will to to do it. So, um, interestingly, China's obviously been selling down record amount. I think it was eight hundred eighty eight 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 hundred eighty seven million dollars worth of bonds. Uh, so another a billion dollars worth of bonds recently. Um, you got Japan and China selling down a lot of the bonds. Um, look, as long as American currency is reserved, I don't see America changing changing up. That's my summary, Jolly. Yeah, I'll just uh. While you were chatting on the uh, the tax side of things, I just uh, Googled for anyone of interest, the usdebtclock.org. <laughs> a lot of numbers and a lot of figures that are just moving uh, every second. Um, so the US national debt, 31 trillion, 605 billion, uh, 404 million. Um, and it's just going up every second. Uh, interesting, the US federal debt to GDP ratio in the 60s, yep. 53%. In the 80s, it was 34% of debt to GDP, gross domestic product. Um, two, in 2000, it was 58%. And now it's 120% debt to GDP. Yep. So, um, you know, does something have to change? Maybe. Do they just, as you said, they're the, they're the reserve? Do they print more money? Do they, what do they do? Um, it actually, sorry to cut you off. It actually depends on how you measure that last metric because the White House themselves have come out and said that the G, the debt to GDP metric is currently at 97%. However, the Biden administration is saying that in conjunction with this, they are forecasting debt to, G, debt to GDP to go to 110% um, over the next... And like, what sort of debt you include, but I mean, using the traditional kind of like... Um, Country's government debt versus gross domestic products. Um, I mean, Australia's sitting at fifty eight percent for the uh, the tankers out there. Just as a bit of a uh, is yeah. the quantity uh, Well, no, America, America's um, national. So, the United States government debt accounted for one hundred twenty three point four percent of the country's nominal GDP in December twenty twenty two. So it is up. It is up to that. I think Biden is just saying that some of it isn't debt and the rest of it, but like. The White, House is, uh, the White House measures things how they want to measure things. Yeah, mate, a hundred percent. Because even when you go to like, uh, like you know, whether it's it's you go to Stanford or Seek Data or Trade Economics or you know physical data, everything is saying yeah about one hundred twenty three percent. People say China make up the numbers, but uh, 
Um, yeah, so you can go to the uh, the deck clock and you get a bit of a look around. You can hover over items. It gives you the uh, information. And then you can see interest on debt, net interest, debt, US Treasury notes, bonds. Um, I guess that's per annum, uh, 541 bill. So there you go. I think that's the funniest it. part is um, when you're on 6th Avenue in Manhattan, they've actually got the deck clock. That's live right. on the side yeah. of a uh, it was live on the side of a building. Yeah, I wasn't sure where it was. <laughs> yep. That was yeah. That's an impressive clock. But uh so the last news item, because because no rapid fire news would be complete without mention of Elon, Elon Musk or Tesla. You might have seen uh on Twitter during the week, boys, that Elon uh had a very public interaction with a Twitter employee, perhaps former Twitter employee, I'm not sure of the status at the moment, where this employee had to tweet out at Elon Musk and try and get it to go viral because he said he'd had his computer access cut off at Twitter for like nine days or so. And then this exchange unfolded where Elon sort of said, you know, what's going on? What have you been doing? Yeah, break confidentiality. Tell us what work you've been doing. Yeah, this is a bloke. I am Heralda. So if you want to look at him, people, and you're not uh, watching the stream, you can go to Hallie, H-A-L-L-I on Twitter. And you, you scroll down, you'll find this interaction. But then essentially... Um, Elon said you haven't been doing any work he said it to another another user said this guy doesn't do any work at all uh, and then it came out that this fellow has muscular dystrophy because one of the allegations was that he hadn't been doing anything physical uh, and, then, and then this guy's come back and said yeah that's right because I've got muscular dystrophy and I, and I can only do very, you know, limited physical work but it turns out that this fellow um, I think before Elon Musk took over sold his business to Twitter and wrote into the contract a stipulation that if he would ever be fired before a certain term, that Twitter would have to pay out X amount of value that he um, you know, had previously valued his company at. And someone was saying it's in the ballpark of around $100 million. You know so, what I mean? I yeah. love it. And then, you know, like magic after that, and you know, the $100 million figure being thrown around and the muscular dystrophy, uh, Elon Musk sort of said, you know, he, he he sort of came back and apologized and said, I've had a discussion with Hallie on the phone, much better than tweeting at each other. And I apologize to him formally. And, you know, he's considering remaining at Twitter. So I don't know. I feel like I feel like Elon Musk has put his foot in it uh, a bit there, which he does quite often. Uh, thoughts, boys? Two thoughts. Did, was one. He, uh, did, he, did he sack someone live on the Joe Rogan podcast one time I saw maybe a few years ago? I remember him on a some kind of talk show or something and something went wrong he fired someone i don't know if that was all made up or i'd have to re recheck it again i have to fact check myself not sure on that one yeah obviously town hall isn't the best place to discuss everything sometimes the phone is, is the best place to discuss stuff um i think the backtracking is only because uh obviously the blowback but uh must finding out about how he built into his contract wages rather than the purchase price will be paid in wages rather than the lump sum amount and then the breaching <laughs> breaching fee because at, at some point twitter was buying twitter was um buying this is maybe i don't know i'm gonna go say 10 years ago just like facebook everyone was buying everything right they're just buying and everything and everything and these say sales contracts have been long forgotten now and the people that probably are in the legal department of twitter probably been fired anyway so, <laughs> so look, it's just uh, another example, I think, of uh, of of Elon just loving limelight, and this guy actually reading him like a book and being like sending out the fishing rod, and because the guy was like enough likes, and Elon will uh, reply to this. The guy had it totally set up, I reckon. Um, 
I think the guy's quite smart. If he kind of is trying to go around the tax laws over in Iceland by making the sales contract in wages and the rest of it, I reckon at the same time, he's like, if I have a spat, public spat, Elon can't help himself. He'll get involved and, um, you know, I might be able to get some more money. I reckon the guy's just intelligent <laughs> and reading Elon like a fucking uh, like a poker player should. I love it. So thanks for the rapid fire news items today, Arnie, um, and bringing up Elon and keeping the listeners, giving them what they want, keeping it consistent. <laughs> Um, and I did uh, I did see that Elon's stock price dropped 5% last night because of a, a fatal crash with a fire uh, fire truck maybe from a month ago. With, I don't know if it was a self-driving car, that one, but uh, I think there'll be yeah, there'll be constant news to come on Tesla, so uh, we'll be able to keep giving the listeners what they want and keep uh, Arnie uh, chatting about uh, his mate Elon. Keep rapid fire news in business. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, absolutely. But, uh, so the 50-50 this week, boys. Yeah, 50-50, we can't go through an episode without Riv, and I forgot to I forgot to throw him up at the start. So, big Riv dog, get him on. Let's quickly have a look. Uh, I'm not afraid of death, only the pain that might come with it. No idea what that means, but uh, I, I guess uh, what is that under? What topic is that under? That's Renee on life. That's kind of go. like um, you know Packer about like, do you want the good news or the bad news? And he's like, the good news is no hell, the bad news is no heaven. That's yeah. similar. Yeah. A relevant, a relevant ripkin this week. So uh, on to Arn Dogs fifty fifty. Fifty fifty boys. So you might have seen the the massive, massive news during the week that beloved Victoria Bitter is releasing VBXL or or VVX or something. It's extra strength. It's six percent stubbies, right? Dubbed by some the Red Rocket, and that made me that made me ponder. You know, in in famous Australian beer. If you were forced to choose between a Victor Bravo, VB, Green Goblin, or a Melbourne Bitter, both from Carlton United Breweries, which one would you be choosing? I'd say uh, it's a tough one, Arnie, because I, I, I don't like either. But <laughs> if, I, if I was to have to choose, I feel I'd go with... A Melbourne bitter, Melbourne bitter, just to be that little bit more unique and that little bit more hipster. Um, but maybe it's gone too far now. It's not as it's not as unique anymore to have a Melbourne bitter because too many people were doing it. But I don't, I really don't like VB. So uh, I don't love Melbourne bitter, but <laughs> Melbourne bitter it is. Rattles, I, I just Melbourne bitter is probably the only thing that could go down my throat and not <laughs> I'm not a not a uh, a cut and brewery kind of guy. So no no love for the CUB staple as well. I like both of them. Um but I am also partial to a Melbourne bitter and what I was the Green Goblin. The Green Goblin well, they've got many nicknames the Vomit Bomb. Oh Vomit uh, Bomb, yes I know that the, you know the grenades sometimes they're called in the green the green colour scheme is very popular. But yeah, Melbourne Bitter. Now, Crownies, I, I, do Crownies still fit in there? Or are they not around anymore? Yeah, Crownies are still around. All, all, all the uh, staples from CUB are still there. I call there, them the but... box the box beer. They used to be in all the boxes at the football. <laughs> yeah, maybe they've got a contract or something. But I think... You don't see Crownies at bottle shops anymore, but you just see them at functions. There's all these function places in Melbourne and Australia uh-huh. that have this long-lost stash of Crownies when they used to be popular, and they bring them out for events. Otherwise, right. I'd never see Crownies anywhere else. I mean, I haven't, I haven't actively looked for them, but I feel like I wouldn't have any trouble finding a box of crannies, you know, slightly crannies <laughs> if I need them. But uh, 
Yeah, I'd go with Melbourne Bitter. And, and to your point, Jolie, I feel like I liked Melbourne Bitter before it became the hipster's drink of choice. And now that it's fallen out of favour, I still like Melbourne Bitter. But I'll try a Red Rocket if I if I come across the extra strong percentage. Yeah, I'll try that. <laughs> there you go. What do you? What would you do, Tankers? What would you Great do? Yeah, we want to hear from the Tankers. Great fifty-fifty this week, Arnie. Thanks for that. And where can the listeners or where can people get us at with questions uh, when they want to interact with us and give us subject matter or fifty-fifties, Arnie? Yeah, please get us at Money Tank on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I would love to hear uh, the support or the for or against, you know, for for CUB um, beers, whether you like partial to a Victor Bravo or a Melbourne Bitter. Let me know. But yeah. We look forward to catching up with everyone next week once we get back into Money in the Tank, which will be episode 59 on our way to the, the ton, the hundred, the three <laughs> figures. We're getting there. Slowly but surely, it's been a slow start to the year, but we're on track and we're uh, firing on all cylinders now. So, tankers, stick with us. Keep uh, bringing those questions in, bringing those topics in, and we'll keep answering them and having a great time as we progress with it. General in nature, educational purposes, as always. Thanks for that. Have a great week. Yeah. Yeah.